So I want us to think for a few minutes tonight under the direction of God's word about devotion to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we approach you, speak to us. Let this word be not a, a dead letter, but a living truth. Lord, I remember that the prophets and the apostles used to talk about your word running. Lord, I pray that the word would run tonight. That you would speak not just to our heads, but also to our hearts. Speak powerfully. Speak transformatively. Lord, we wait upon you. We know that no man in and of himself, no woman in and of herself could interpret this word in a spiritually beneficial or profitable way. So we ask for your spirit that inspired the word to illuminate it now to our understanding and use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I want to read beginning at Romans 11, verse 33, and remind you that we believe that the Bible is the word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And I want to also point out that verses 33 to about chapter 12, verse 2, are, are kind of a, 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 not a summary, but a so what section to what he's written before. So he's written the first 11 chapters up to verse 32 and then stating some consequences of that as we take it up in verse 33. Hear now the word of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, for as to one as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Have gifts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy 
or chilfulness. Amen. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God will not fade. It will abide forever and forever. Sometimes we hear about a devoted husband or father, a devoted mother or wife, or you might have a devoted friend. Christians are expected to be devoted to God and to one another and to have a devotional time every day. What does that mean? What does it mean to be devoted to God? So consider the following words. There's the word devote, that's a verb. Devotion, that's a noun. Devout, he's a devout person, that's an adjective. Devotional, that's another noun. Devoted, that's another adjective. Devotee, that's another noun. They all sound similar, right? Devote, devout. Devotion, devotional, devoted, devotee. What does that mean? Is there a root there that can help us to understand what it means to be a faithful Christian? Well, I think there is. Because the fundamental religious posture is to be devoted to God. The Bible tells us that. According to the Bible, all of us should devote ourselves to God immediately completely, repeatedly, immediately. If you've never done that, you should devote yourself to God tonight, right now. There's urgency in that, according to the scriptures. And completely, nothing held back, and repeatedly. You'll have to do that every day. It's both the right thing to do, God's God, we are people, we are his creatures, but it's the best thing to do. And and we get that confused. Sometimes people think in the church that the right thing is going to be the painful thing. But God is a loving God. Uh, The scriptures, the law of God, the scriptures of God, the way of God with his people is given to us, not just because it's right, God says it, because it's best. The best, the richest, the fullest, the most abundant life that I can have, that you can have, that any person on the face of the earth can have, is to be devoted to God. Now, our text tells us two things about this topic. The first one is why we should be devoted to God. And then secondly, the nature of true devotion to God. What does it look like? First, why to be devoted to God? And secondly, well, what does it look like? And, um, and let's have a look, okay? We're going to begin at verse 33. And there two basic reasons why we should be devoted to God that are given to us in verses 33, 34, 35, and 36. And the first one is because God is God. And the second one is because of his mercy. Because God is God. This is the why we should be devoted to God. Because God is God and because of his mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Look at the text. God knows what to do in every circumstance. He does all things well. And the text begins, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, those are different words, but we're going to see they all pile on to the same thing. Um, the depth of God's riches, what is this talking about? Well, it's talking about material riches, yes, 
When we think of riches, we probably first think about material riches. Uh, if, if we were talking about God, and, and I say it humbly, you would say, well, God is well-to-do, right? God is rich. He's rich. He's abundant in riches. But it's also, I think, talking about what we would call spiritual riches, uh, about salvation in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. It talks about, the text talks about the, the wisdom of God. And, and that's a place where we often, those of us who are raised in what's called the West, as opposed to the East, over in, in the Holy Land, uh, the, we, we, we're unclear about what it means to be um, a wise. Um, a wise person in our way of thinking, is kind of a guru, right? Uh, if, if somebody's wise to us, we think, well, they're smart, uh, they, 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 they're knowledgeable, uh, they, they're kind of a guru. But, but in the East, in the biblical time, wisdom was practical, not just theoretical. Uh, it had to do with actions, not just thoughts. So for the ancients, a wise person knew how to live. A, a wise person lived in a wise way, and God is the wise person. Uh, the depth of his, the riches, the depth of his wisdom, the depth of his knowledge. Now, what do we mean when we talk about the depth of his knowledge? Uh, is it just that God knows everything in the encyclopedia? Well, it means that, but, it, but it's, that's not the full meaning here. It means that God understands what to do, in every, any and every situation. It, it's kind of like wisdom. And, and in this context, these th- three things, the, the, the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God, refer to God's good and gracious direction of history. To his selection, indeed his election of his people unto eternal life. And and. His blessing of them. And if I can say it um, without any kind of blasphemy, what Paul is writing here, he's saying, God, you do a great job of everything. Good job, God, because you're wise and knowledgeable and, and you're rich. It goes on to talk about what we call God's incomprehensibility, how unsearchable are his judgments. How unsearchable are his judgments. We call that incomprehensibility. We know many true things about God. We do. Praise God we do. He's revealed them to us in the scriptures. We know the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. But we don't know God and his ways exhaustively, fully, or completely. His judgments are unsearchable according to the text. We can't fully figure out why God does what he does. I tell people pastorally, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Joling has, sometimes the what questions are very difficult and the why questions are impossible. Right? Why did you do it that way, God, rather than this way? Why did the providence turn out this way rather than that way? And we just don't know. But, I hasten to add, do we want a God 
that we can fully understand? Well, I think not, right? Surely we want a God that, that, that is more uh, magnificent and wise and, and, and has more knowledge about how life should be than any of us ever has, right? Well, I think so. I think that's easy. So it goes on to say, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Um, another way to think about that, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his advisor? Um, when it says who has been his counselor, it's not like going to a counselor as we talk about it. Uh, it's more like this. Um, presidents have councils of advisors. They have councils of economic advisors. They have foreign relations advisors. They have military advisors. Does God have any advisors? No. <laughs> no. God has no council of advisors. Who has not known the mind of the Lord or who has been his advisor? Well, nobody. None of us. God has not asked us, and if he did, we couldn't contribute. I mean, suppose I got a phone call tomorrow, and it's the board of directors of Nike or Intel, one of the big companies in Portland. And they said, hey, Alan, we want you to come run the company. Are you kidding me? They wouldn't do that. Well, what if they did? I'd say, no, no. You and I are not going to get a, God, a call from God that says, hey, come run the world a while. And if he did, we ought to say the same thing we say, would say if the board of directors of Nike or Intel called us. Nope, you don't need me. I don't know enough about that. Nobody's ever advised God. Nobody's been his counsel. Nobody fully understands the depth of his riches and knowledge and wisdom and, and, and all that goes into making God, God. I can't imagine trying to advise how God to run his world. Sad to say, from time to time, I think I'd like to try. But in all honesty, we know we're not up to the task. Who has given it, verse 35, who has given a gift to him? Why am I going through this? What? I'm, I'm giving you the why we should devote ourselves to God, right? Okay, just to remind you where we are. We cannot obligate God to help us. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God is the source and the agent and the object, the end of all things. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive. What's the answer to that? Nothing. You don't have anything you did not receive. You say, well, I work hard. Yes, what with? Your body. Where'd you get your body? Where'd you get your strength? Where'd you get your mental acumen? Where'd you get your brain? Where'd you get the ability? Where'd you get the opportunities? I can, you figure it all out, but it all came from God. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. So we can't obligate him to help us because everything we have would be something we gave back to him. God does not owe us anything. So then he says, look, from him, he's the creator and the source. Through him, he's the creative agent. And unto him, his glory is the end or goal or purpose are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. So that's the first answer to the question, why should we devote ourselves to God? Because God is God. And the second reason we should devote ourselves to God is because of what it says in chapter 12, verse 1, in the phrase in the, the ESV, it says, by the mercies of God. Uh, in the NIV, it says, in view of God's mercies. Now, a little further down in the text, 
um, uh, it's going to talk about um, the, uh, the, this being your rational or your logical or your spiritual response to his person and his grace in view of God's mercies. And so he's saying, look, here's why you should devote yourself to God, because God is God and in view of his mercies. And, and in view of his mercies, he's going to say, look, it's the logical thing to do. It's the rational thing to do. It's the right thing, the spiritual response to all the mercies of God that we would devote ourselves to him. His mercies to us in creation, he made us. Some fathers of young children like to say, where were you before you were born? <laughs> you know, just kind of getting the wheels to turn. But it impresses the point of how God made us, and without him we would not exist. He sustains us. He providentially guides us. That's his mercies in creation, those and other things. But his mercies in redemption is what Paul has been focusing on the most in the preceding chapters. His mercies to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the sent son, fully God, fully man. He's the acceptable sacrifice and substitute for his people in his life and death and resurrection and ascension. And it, mercy that makes us alive from the dead, Romans 6, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. He justifies us freely by grace through faith. He sanctifies us initially, gradually, and finally he will do it completely. He adopts us into his family. He elects us unconditionally. And, and this mercy, but these mercies of God, this mercy of God, is the good news. So why be devoted to God? Because he is God and because he has redeemed us. And that's true of every one of us who's trusted Jesus Christ. If you've never devoted to yourself to God, those are good reasons that apply to you because God is God. And if you know him... You could redevote yourself to him tonight because the mercies are yours in Jesus Christ. Secondly, and by the way, I've only got two main points tonight. Relax, I know it's a Sunday night sermon, all right? So, um, what is devotion? And I think we're a little thin on that in evangelical and reformed Christianity. And that's a startling statement because it's a phrase, a word that's used a lot. But I think the biblical meaning is not very clear to us, and I want to, God willing, make it clear in the next few minutes. I want to give you a definition and then show it to you from the scriptures and other places, okay? Devotion is the sacrifice of the self in the service of another. Devotion is the sacrifice of the self in the service of another. And so what I'm going to be saying is that because God is God... And because of the mercies of God that we see in Jesus Christ, we ought to sacrifice ourselves to God in his service. Think of mothers, mothers of young children, devoted mothers of young children. What do they do? Well, they sacrifice themselves in the service of another. Think of those caring for the sick, the infirm. What do they do? They sacrifice themselves in the service of another. When you devote yourself to another person, 
You give up your agenda and your desires in favor of the other person to promote the need, help the needs, and help further the desires of that other person. Those are some illustrations that I think most of us can connect with. In the Bible, what's a devoted thing? What is a devoted thing? Suppose I had a sheep or a goat or an ox, and I took it up to the temple in Jerusalem. I'm an Old Testament, Old Covenant believer. I take it up to the temple, and I say to the priest, here, I want to devote this to God. What's the priest going to do? He's going to take out a knife and kill it. A devoted thing in the Bible is a dead thing. It's a sacrifice. Dead to self, dead to self-seeking, dead to self-direction. Look at the language. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. That's the language of sacrifice, present. They're told in the Old Testament, go and present an offering, present a sacrifice to God. That's the language. The theologians would call that cultic language, but you don't need all that kind of mess. It's just what it is. If you turn to Joshua chapter 6 and 7, if we wanted to go to 8 o'clock, I'd take you there and talk about it, but I won't do it. You can read that. On your own. When, when, when in Joshua 6 and 7, uh, Israel is commanded to go and conquer Jericho. And God tells them, look, the devoted things, there are things in Jericho that are devoted things. And, and in the text of Joshua 6 and 7, in various places it says, you are to devote them to destruction. Devote them to destruction. A devoted thing was a dead thing. A devoted thing was a destroyed thing. If it was devoted to God, they destroyed it. And you find the same thing with, uh, with Saul and David, I mean Saul and Samuel, with, with the uh, bleeding of the sheep. Because he was supposed to devote those sheep to God and he didn't do it. And, and so he was dethroned. And so a devoted thing is a dead thing. It's devoted to disruption. You find this in Numbers 21 and Leviticus 27 and other places. In Latin, the root, of, the root word is devovery. Devovery. And, and it means to curse or devote or consecrate or to mark out or appoint. So a devoted thing is a dead thing. Just stay with me. I'll get to the text and give you some payout, so to speak, or application in a little bit, all right? So in the New Testament, when in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, when they're forming what we take to be the first group of deacons or diaconate, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What's he saying? He's saying, well, we're going to stop waiting tables. We're going to die to that so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, because you can't die 
to this master and die to this master. Die to self to serve this master. Die to self and serve. You can't do that but to one. And so the point is that when we devote ourselves to something, we give ourselves over to doing just that, to the exclusion of other things which we might die to. So Abraham, he was to devote his son Isaac in Genesis 22. Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. A cross is an instrument of death. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so what's the call of Christ on my life and your life? It's to come and follow in his footsteps. Real life can come only after we have died to self and committed to serve. And, as I said earlier, we could die immediately and completely and repeatedly. What do I mean repeatedly? Well, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm to be a living sacrifice, which means I'm to die to my agendas my desires, and seek God's agendas and God's desires. Too often in the United States, in churches that I've been around, if you ask, why is God in heaven and why am I on earth? The answer will be, well, God's up there to help me build my kingdom. Wrong. Backwards. I'm down here to help him who's up there build his kingdom here on the earth. That I'm to be a living sacrifice. But the problem with a living sacrifice is what? It can crawl. <laughs> I get up on the altar of sacrifice and I crawl off. And my hunch is you do too. And you do that with some frequency. And so you got to crawl back up there. We're to be living sacrifices. We're to be holy, set-apart sacrifices. We're to be acceptable, better word, pleasing sacrifices. So if you want to describe the Christian life, and, 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 and get at the root of it, one of the words you're going to have to use is sacrifice. It begins with Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little more, more in a minute. But it comes back to me. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it's to devote myself to Jesus. It's to die to self to serve Jesus. I mean, devotion is, is also what we would call holistic. It's devotion to the entire self. It said present your bodies. Now, that doesn't just mean your physical bodies. But, but it includes the mental as well as the physical. And it means that all of life is to be worship, right? Worship services like this, yes, but worship tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night and Tuesday morning and afternoon and night. Uh, a worshipful life is a life that lives under the sovereignty of God, the direction of God for the glory of God. How should you begin the day if you're going to be like this? I'm going to devote myself to God. I'm going to die to myself. Well, in one sense of the word, you ought to wake up in the morning. I ought to wake up in the morning. We ought to all wake up in the morning and report to God. I'm Private Carter, sir, reporting for duty. What do you want me to do, God? That's a devoted life. I don't always do that. You don't always do that. But I think that's what the text is getting at. It includes the, the mental by the renewal of your mind as well as the physical. And, and that's what we're to do. Now, here's the problem that some of us have. You have been exhorted by uh, pastors and 
Sunday school teachers and books you've read and everything that you need to have a devotional every day, right? You need to have a devotional life every day. And so what do you think? What does that mean? Well, you say, well, so you ask somebody, what does it mean to have a devotional? Well, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. Friend, I want to tell you, you can read your Bible and pray and never have a devotional. You know why? Because there's not been a devotional until something has been devoted and the thing that's supposed to be devoted is you. So when you approach God in prayer, do you offer yourself up to him as a living sacrifice? Do you, vote, do you devote yourself to him? Do you give yourself over to him? Do you say to him, I'm going to die to self and take up my cross today and follow you? That's what having a devotional is. And then it has to do with how we live that day. How we treat others. That's, I'm not talking about something ethereal. This is very concrete. This is very uh, in, in the dust and dirt of life. How do we treat others? What do we focus on? What values and goals will direct our daily lives? How will we end each day? Will we be thankful and fulfilled? Will we confess our sins and seek forgiveness for our failures and remember the gospel day by day? Do not be conformed to this world. Why does he say that? Because devotion to God is very countercultural. Christianity is very countercultural. The, the, the culture says be devoted to yourself, be true to yourself, follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. But God says your heart is desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart, follow my heart that's revealed in the scriptures. Do not be conformed to this world. The world will try to shape you into its mold. You know this word conformed? It's, it's like if you had a piece of aluminum foil and any kind of thing and you, you, you take the aluminum foil and you keep pressing it around whatever object you have and finally you get the aluminum foil conformed to the shape of whatever it is you're wrapping it around. That's conformed. He says do not be conformed. Do not be shaped like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you've got to re resist and reject what the world is trying to do to us and say to us and teach us on a daily basis about what the good life is. You do that by the renewal of your mind. And our minds are fallen. And... And so what we've got to do is learn to think God's thoughts after him, to think like God. Well, how, where do you find that? In the scriptures. Scripture study, scripture memory, biblical instruction, sermons like Pastor Joling gives you every week, other lessons that are biblical. There is the constant danger of self-deception. So we need to study and think in the context of fellowship with others. Um, you can argue from this text that he's talking communally, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, but I won't dig too deep into that. Now you know from the Bible the what and the why. The what is devote yourself to God. The why is God is God and in view of the mercies of God, you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so I appeal to you tonight, brothers and sisters, to present, to offer up yourselves to God 
as living sacrifices, to devote yourself to God. We need to be exhorted to do, to do that. I need to be exhorted to do that. I need to remind myself to do that because I am ungrateful and I am forgetting and I'm self-serving and I'm too busy with my own agendas and I could go on and on. My hunch is that I'm not the only sinner in the room and that you are like I am. What will it take to be like this? It will take faith. It will take faith. It will take faith to follow Jesus' instructions, to believe the gospel, to die to self, to devote myself to God as a living sacrifice, to die to self and serve him. I assure you, the Bible assures us that such faith is worth it. Why? This is crucial. Why is such faith worth it? Worth it? Because on the other side of death, there's life. It was for Jesus. It will be. For you and me. All who will devote themselves to God in view of his mercy in Jesus Christ will find a richness and fullness and joy and happiness in life that they've never known before. You serve self and you'll be a slave. You serve God. You devote yourself to God and you'll be free. The sacrament you observe next Sunday shows us the depth of the devotion of the Son of God. He, he is the devoted one. But he's not dead. He is risen. He's a living sacrifice. And that's very good news for you and me. All that he asks is that we trust him and do what he did, that we follow in his steps. And so I ask, will you? Do you have that much faith? Do you believe it's true that devotion to God is not only right, but best? I hope so. Let's pray. Father God, it seems like a great hypocrisy for somebody like me to be preaching a word like this. Help me every day to report for duty first thing in the morning. Sir, what would you have me to do? Lord, I pray that all of us, in the sound of my voice, would devote ourselves to you immediately, completely, repeatedly. That as we crawl off the altar sacrifice, we'd let you dust us off and forgive us, and we'd get back up there and live for your glory once more. Lord, we long for the day when we will never run from you, never distrust you, certainly never hide from you, but find great joy and happiness in doing your will from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen.